My friends, you are in for a treat today with today's amazing guest. But before we get there, I want to take a moment just to say two important words. I don't say them enough, but here they are. Thank you. Thank you. As you may have heard, my second book, In Awe, arrived in bookshelves around the world, and it became an instant national bestseller. So let me say these words again to you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you have not yet had an opportunity to check out the book in awe, you have that chance right now. I want you to visit me at readinawe.com. In awe is about rediscovering your childlike wonder to unleash inspiration and joy and meaning in your life. I don't think there could be a better time than the pandemic, than the recession, than this period of isolation that we currently face to rediscover childlike wonder. So again, get your copy, send one to a friend, learn more about it at readinawe.com or wherever beautiful books are sold. And now on to today's episode. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Shannon Miller is widely recognized as one of the most iconic gymnasts of all time. Almost two and a half decades after serving on that 1996 Magnificent Seven Olympic team, she remains one of the most decorated American gymnasts in history. Yet even the greatest of champions face uncontrollable factors, like a rare cancer diagnosis. Today, this mother of two, this author, this sought-after speaker and survivor shares some of her contagious focus and determination. On this episode, you're going to learn about her perspective on some of the most memorable moments of her gymnastic career, her devotion to advocating for women's health, and how she empowers others to break through personal challenges. It's an, an amazing story shared by a remarkable woman. So my friends, without further ado, let's welcome our newest friend, Olympic gold medalist, Shannon Miller. Shannon, welcome to Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, you, you just heard me obnoxiously brag on you and your bio for the last <laughs> four and a half minutes. So uh, in your own words, Shannon... What do you do today? What do I do today? Oh man, that's a the, the question of of the year. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm like every other person out there. I wear 15 different hats every single day. Um, I'm a mom. I'm a wife. Um, I'm a survivor. Uh, so I have you know that health focus. But ultimately, my job is to go out and speak to people and to try to share with them some of the the struggles, the trials and triumphs that I've been through that hopefully will help them maybe avoid yeah. some of the mistakes I've made, but also to inspire them and empower them to take those little nuggets, um, internalize them, take them with uh, with them each day to help them be their very best. So I get to travel around and, and speak to others, which has um, been just ultimately a, a true passion of mine. Well, before becoming a mom and a wife and a survivor and an overcomer and all the successes you've enjoyed, before the Magnificent Seven and the combined 16 world championships and the Olympic medals and everything that you've done in that world, 
You uh, had a childhood, it turns out. You were born in Missouri. That's my home state. But soon after <laughs> birth, you moved just west to Oklahoma. D- talk, Shannon, about growing up in o- Oklahoma. Talk about what your childhood was like in those early days. You know, I often get asked about uh, my childhood, and, and often it's uh, in, in the course of asking about sacrifices. But yeah. um, for me, I just never felt – in maybe I'm – I. I feel a little bit bad for this, but I didn't feel like I ever had to sacrifice. I really just kind of grew up um, in Oklahoma. Um, I have an older sister and a younger brother, so I was I was the middle child. I was the, <laughs> the peacemaker, and um, and just you know kind of lived every day just like every other child out there. I went to public school. I did homework. I went <laughs> to the gym in the evenings, and I just kind of figured everyone was going to their after school sports. I didn't realize that, that, you know, at the time training, you know, six or seven hours a day was, <laughs> was maybe a little bit more than everyone else, but, um, but I loved it. And, um, you know, my care- parents, I think they kind of helped me, um, as I grew up and grew into the sport and, uh, was headed toward the Olympic games, helped keep me balanced and humbled, I think yeah. just by, you know, I was cleaning the toilet and doing the chores just like my sister and brother and had to clean my room and had to keep up with schoolwork. And so I think that balance um, really helped me along the way. I could be a gymnast at the gym and, and I could be a kid at home and I could be focused on school at school. And so it really was kind of that, that great balance. You, you got into gymnastics at five. Was it a, a mother, a father, a sister, um, or you who chose that? Or t- tell me about how you even got into it. Well, so I was in dance. I had at four years old, my sister's two years older, and all I wanted to be in life was my big sister. (laughs) I just wanted to be like her and follow her into everything. And um, I begged and pleaded when she went off to dance, oh, I wanted to go so badly. And my parents said no. And as the story goes, I uh, was talking to my grandma on the phone one night and, and may have may have cried a little bit and, and begged. <laughs> and she eventually paid for my lessons. Wow. And so my mother took me and, and I loved it. And then we, we stopped dancing for a little bit and got a trampoline for Christmas one year. My parents had found it at a, a garage sale and they put it up in the backyard and we started trying to do these flips and, and whatnot. And I think between the flips on the trampoline, that was, you know, back in the day when they didn't have pads over the spring. I was just thinking the same or, thing. <laughs> no netting. You somehow survived um, childhood. That, that alone is remarkable. <laughs> um, so between that and, and kind of ruining my parents' couch um, <laughs> with, with the flips and the turns and the tumbles, they finally said, okay, it kind of looks like gymnastics, but we need them to do it safe. They called up a couple of gyms, and we went to the first one that called back. And I, wow. I just fell in love. And my sister actually, she moved on to swimming uh, several months later. But I was, I was in love. I, that's all I wanted to do. When I was a kid, my dream was playing baseball, and my hero was Ozzie Smith. He's a shortstop for the Cardinals. I just, I loved him. You grew up in the gym. You grew up tumbling and dancing your way through those afternoons. Who was your, your hero? Who was that one lady or gentleman that you looked up to? I have, I have many. Um, I would say a lot of them are not famous. They're, they're just the older girls that were in the gym every day. Uh, when I started competing, I went to, um, a different gym, uh, when I was nine, they had a competitive team. And so I started with, with that team and there was only, I think maybe 12 of us. And most of the girls were three to five years older than me. So I saw 
how hard they worked in the gym. I saw when they brought home trophies and I just kind of wanted to be like that. Of course, you know, this was before the internet, before social media. So that was my immediate reality. Um, over time, I learned about Mary Lou Rutten. <laughs> I yeah. learned about Nadia Comaneci. Um, I started competing with um, so the Soviet gymnasts and um, so many athletes out there that really I took something, I think, from each of them. When did you go from hoping to win the Edmond, Oklahoma tournament, uh, you know, the Saturday tournament, into thinking as a little girl, gosh, I think I, I can be on the front of a Wheaties box. I think I, I, think I can do the Olympics. When does that dream even begin creeping into your mind? I don't know that it was, I, I was never, I'll start off with this. I was never one of those kids that thought I want to be an Olympic gold medalist. You, I, I just can't imagine you'd ever hear those words uttered out of my mouth. It, it was really just about the next step. And so I wanted to make it to the state competition, qualify for that. So that was my focus. And when that happened, it was okay, regionals, let's go. And then nationals. And can I make the national team? And once I was on the national team, it was, okay, my international assignment and world yeah. championships. And, and it was really always just about the next step. And so I had that long-term goal of the next step, but I also had a really important focus on what do I do today in order to get there. And so I think for me, it was eventually um, not about winning a gold medal at the Olympics, but being able to go out and represent my country. Mm. I, I had done it on a state level. I had done it with my club. Gosh, I mean, if I get to, if I get to put on a red, white, and blue uniform and go out and compete for my country, how amazing would that be? And, and I think there was just this idea growing up in Oklahoma that anything was possible. And my parents just truly helped me believe that if, as long as I was you know, willing to work hard, then anything was possible. You could do it. So just you know, work for it. And I, and I just hope our listeners are hearing that loud and clear that this is true, not only for you back in the late eighties, early nineties, but for all of us today that work hard, have faith, get after it. And still, yes, indeed, still, even in 2020, anything is possible. I think w when most people think of you, Shannon, they think of Atlanta, they think of the Magnificent Seven, they think of that crazy, awesome run that we will talk about momentarily. But in thinking about you in that light, they miss what happened four years earlier. So um, this wonderful run in Spain, the Olympics that you enjoyed almost never happened. You almost did not make the Olympic team. Talk about the injury that kept you, almost kept you away from making that team. Absolutely. And this is, this injury was one of the biggest turning points, not only in my career as a gymnast, but in my life. And it's something I look back to often because there were so many lessons learned. Um, I was doing pretty well. I was what we would call maybe an on the bubble athlete. I was, um, possibly going to make the team. I was, you know, it could kind of go either way. I was, I was sitting right there in striking distance with the Olympic trials coming up. And, um, I was at the gym one night, just training like usual and had an accident on uneven bars, ended up breaking and dislocating my left elbow. So basically in this, the span of maybe two seconds, um, my entire outlook and trajectory had potentially changed. Mm. And I remember lying there. Um, I I glanced over. I saw my arm, you know, 
completely the wrong way, which is never something you want to see. Mm. And um, But I also saw my coach running over. He was <laughs> pulling off his jacket as he ran. He covered my arm just a little bit too late. And mm. someone took the grips off, and another teammate went and got ice. And, and I don't think at that point it had really dawned on me that this was a potentially career-ending mistake. And I was uh, packed, in, <laughs> packed into his car, taken to the hospital, and our team doctor happened to be an orthopedic surgeon. And so he met me there. My parents met us there. And he took a look and said, well, we're going to cast it for six weeks. And I'm thinking, no, <laughs> I'm an athlete. You cannot put a cast on me for six weeks. The Olympic trials are in 10 weeks. There's not enough time. And he, he kind of smiled and he said, I, I didn't figure you were going to go for that. So here's option two. Um, you can, you know, we can go into surgery now, put a screw in to hold the bone together, wear a splint for a couple of weeks. And as long as you do exactly what I say and you don't jump the gun and try to go too fast, then we can try to work it out that way. And that might give you, you know, a, a couple more weeks of, of training and a possibility. But no one seemed real sure. And <laughs> the next day as I was being, um, I went right into surgery that night. The next day I was being wheeled out. And I remember my coach coming in the hospital doors as my parents and I were, were headed out. And there were so many things he could have said at that moment. I'm so sorry. You know, just the timing wasn't right. These things happen. and You know, all of those other things you can say. And he didn't say anything like that. He looked me square in the eyes and he said, all right, I guess we have some work to do. I'll see you at the gym tomorrow. <laughs> but it was the exact words I needed to hear. I needed to not feel sorry for myself. That wasn't going to change anything. I needed to focus forward. And, and whether I made the team or not, I knew at that moment I had to give it every in ounce of, of work that I could. Um, and I just had to stay, um, as you say, keep the faith and, and keep going and work as hard as you can. And at least I wouldn't have any regrets. I wouldn't wonder, what if I had tried? Yeah. And for me, the big lesson that came out of that, uh, one of the big lessons that came out of that was this understanding that it really could be a blessing in disguise. And what happened over the course of the next several weeks was that I couldn't work routines like everyone else in the gym, but I knew how to do the routines. Where my weaknesses were, were strengths and flexibility. I was never the strongest gymnast out there, the most powerful, the most flexible. And now those, those are the only things I could work. I could do conditioning and I could stretch. <laughs> that was mostly it. And I came back from that injury a stronger, uh, more flexible, more well-rounded athlete than I had ever been before. And I was hungrier than ever. I knew without a doubt, this is what I wanted to do. And I would do anything to get there. I would outwork anyone. Mm. So I think it just kind of helped light that fire um, even more so than it was already lit. It, it helped me understand that I needed to make a choice. Was I going to cry about it or was I going to get up and keep going? That is so good. <laughs> you know, when, I, when I'm your age at that time, you're 14, just, well, just turned 15, I think, at that time. I was maybe trying to pick up the audacity and the courage to grab a phone and call girls. And I was uh, maybe going to try to go to a mixer, like really be courageous in that regard. At that same age where I don't even have the courage to go out to a dance, you are walking into the Olympic Stadium representing your country as a teenager. Take me back to what that was like to walk into that stadium, uh, waving at the crowd, wearing that flag, wearing that uniform. 
Um, it was incredible, which, um, which by the way, I, I was not ever going to call a boy at that age either. <laughs> or good good. We wouldn't have never met Shannon. We would not have met until much later in life. Um, but Barcelona was incredible. I mean, here I was, this 15-year-old, just turned 15, walking into an Olympic game, this arena with this enormous crowd. Um, you know, you always try as an athlete to think about it as the same four events, the same routines you trained a thousand times in the gym. It's the same four events. The beam is still four inches wide. You know, keep focused on, um, on the events. But the Olympics, it's hard because it is such a magnificent event. It is just the magnitude of it is incredible. And, and even at that time, you know, before, as I mentioned, you know, internet and social yeah. media and all of that, you still understood that all eyes were on you. And so I think for me to walk into the arena, um, it was having to make that decision and, and having to kind of mentally prepare and instead of allowing the crowd and the circumstances to overwhelm, I had to twist it around in my mind and realize that these were people that were pulling for you. These were people supporting you. They wanted to see good athleticism. You know, no matter what team, you want to see the athletes go out and compete well. And so I tried to really think about that and, and think of the, um, the applause as motivating. And um, instead of getting overwhelmed, instead of feeling too much pressure, um, just thinking about this wonderful opportunity that I had. You had a wonderful opportunity. You took advantage of that wonderful opportunity. You won five medals during that wonderful opportunity. I think it made you uh, one of the most, uh, the most, right? That Olympics medaled athlete. It's crazy. Yes. My coach had to explain to me what that meant. Shannon, you, you actually won the most medals <laughs> right. of any American athlete in any sport at the games. And, and I just quite couldn't quite understand that right. because sure I was this little girl it came in, you know, was hoping to make the team and, and go represent pretty well. But walking home with five medals, I'm not even sure that it truly sank right. in for, for years to come. Shannon, I've read and heard and uh, supposedly research proves out that the happiest uh, recipient of a medal is the gold medalist. And then the second happiest person on that stand is the bronze medalist. The one who's actually most disappointed is the one who wins the silver. And you won a silver medal by finishing, I think it's the closest margin in Olympic history. You finished 0. 0.012 points behind the gold medalist. Uh, talk about that. You know, it's, it's funny because you hear those statistics. And, and I think the, the, the researcher, at least the saying goes, you know, gold medal, of course, you're happy. Bronze, you're happy. You're not fourth because you're on the podium. And, and I get that. And I understand why people would think that. But, man, an Olympic silver medal? <laughs> I mean, how do you not think of that in a positive way? Again, especially this 15-year-old girl going in and, and competing for my country. I just, I, it never um, even crossed my mind that that wasn't a awesome. good thing, not until, you know, I began to get asked about it. But to me, it, it's always been a positive thing. Um, you know, it's great to win the gold. That's fantastic. But then you look back and you think, you know, if I had won the gold medal, would I, would I have kept going? Would mm. I have had that experience in 1996? 
um, you know, things would have definitely changed. They would have been, um, you know, so, you know hindsight's always twenty twenty. But I think for me, it was always a win of the silver medal, and I always felt like I competed as as well as I probably could have. I mean, my nineteen ninety two Olympic Olympics was. Um, I think much better than in 1996 mm-hmm. as far as uh, I didn't fall on one routine throughout the entire competition. I was able to qualify um, first time for an American in all four events, which is a little bit crazy. So for me, those were the wins. Mm. And I always feel like the medals come down to, um, you know, that day, <laughs> but my That's job awesome. is to just go out and compete the best I can. And, um, I think my parents, again, kind of going back to some of their lessons was it was, it's never about the medals. You go out, you give a hundred percent, you do your very best and then you call the day. <laughs> and if, and if you fall, you fell and then you go back to the gym and you work harder. And, and if you, you did great and got a perfect score, awesome. Go back to the gym and, and try something new and challenge yourself in a different way. But it's just a score. So go out and do your best because that's what matters most. Shannon, you are an individual computer of co- competitor, of course, but then as a team, you also play together uh, cheering for the parts. Like the, the parts is as important as the individual. How important is that team dynamic as a gymnast? Uh, gymnastics is interesting because it is a very individual sport when you think about it. There's there's no one else on the balance beam with me. <laughs> no one can kind of help me through my routine. Um, it's not like a team sport where you're all out on the field of play, you're passing to each other, or you're doing all of that. So it's very individual in that respect. But there is a team component. And I think that takes a couple of different paths. One, when you come together as a team at a world championships or an Olympic Games, you have to focus on um, the strategizing of, of the entire team. And that's primarily left up to the coaches. So for me, how I felt like I could be the best team player was making sure that I was contributing to the team. So I knew going up and getting the highest score that I could possibly get on each individual event, that's what was going to help the team the most, you know, because in the end, they're just going to add up the points yeah. <laughs> and whoever gets the most wins. So, um, so that was always my focus because that's something that I could control, you know, how hard I work, um, how well I go up and stay focused and compete. But I also think that other portion of team is that is incredibly important is the more broad, the broader team at work, because it's not just the athletes that are out there competing, wearing the same uniform. Mm. My team was also my parents. It was my coaches. It was, um, you know, the physicians that patched me up and got me back out there. My community there in Oklahoma that supported me, my teachers who helped me balance my, my education, um, along with this training. So there's so much that goes into that team effort. There is no, Olympic gold medalist that stands up on that podium alone. You, you do not get there by yourself. That's awesome. Four years later, uh, you're no longer there by yourself by a long shot. You're surrounded by 40,000, this time cheering fans. You're in the United States, your home turf. And uh, it's suggested that there's a chance that the United States might go home for the first time ever with a, a team gold medal. What do you remember from 1996? Well, there's so much. <laughs> 96 was an incredible year, and our team was 
so special. Uh, we had three of us that were holdovers from 1992, uh, myself, Carrie Strug, and Dominique Dawes. And so we had competed a lot with, with each other. We had been on teams together. We had been roommates together. <laughs> and so there was um, that bond there and that history of really being the first um, team to to be on the podium, to kind of break into that that top four stronghold that other countries had had. had. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Soviet Union, uh, Romania, China, you know, we finally broke onto the podium in 1992 and, and now it was, all right, well, can we, can we get up just a little bit higher and can we do it on home soil? Can we do it with the hometown crowd watching? And so I think we were all very excited about that. Um, so we kind of had the, the veterans on the team, so to speak, and then we had um, some of the younger athletes that, that came on, and they really added that, I think, yeah. that enthusiasm and that spark to kind of to keep us to keep us all focused going. So it was just a special makeup of the team, and I think we all did a really good job of trying to maintain our focus and not get ahead of ourselves and not to think so much about a gold medal that we didn't focus on what the job is today. The job today is to go up and, and hit four routines. Well, you did your job. You hit the four routines. You climbed to the highest point of the, uh, in the gym, and eventually the United States flag rises in the foreground. The Star Spangled Banner starts playing. As a guy at home with kids all over my lap, when I see that happen, <laughs> I, I get teary-eyed. And uh, I get tired walking up a flight of steps. You worked your whole life for this. And now you're with your teammates and your arms are around each other and the flowers in your hands and the flag is flying high and the song is playing. And there's 48,000 people singing with you. <laughs> Walk us back that down memory lane and uh, share what you remember about uh, about that presentation. Well, I think a lot of it started you know, immediately right after the competition, there was this flurry of, of craziness because um, Carrie had injured herself. Yeah. Um, she had kind of a previous injury and, and kind of re-injured it on vault that night. And, and it was hard for us. Um, you know, I've, I've now, since that time, seen the, the coverage on television. And that's kind of not that's not really our perspective because we're, we're not watching it on TV. We're, we're down there on the ground. And so you really can't see what's happening at the very end of the vault runway. Uh, so they kind of whisked her away with medical and we didn't see her again as we were being rushed to, to line up <laughs> backstage. They're you know, yelling at you, you got to get ready. You know, everything's timed for, uh, for TV and you've got to get out there and all these things are going on. And I remember this, this moment this craziness going on, people yelling at us, you got to get your uniform on, you, you got to start walking out, walk, walk, walk. And they're you know, kind of pushing us out the, the curtain uh, to go receive our Olympic gold medal. But Carrie wasn't there. And I have never been <laughs> more proud. I mean, I'm always proud of our team. I mean, it's just a great team. But, um, but that moment each one of us who don't really buck authority or anything like we pretty much are coachable. We do what we're told. <laughs> and, and we all stopped and just said, we're waiting for Carrie. We're, our entire team is going to walk out together. And it was just that moment. We really didn't have to say much. It was just that moment when we all kind of knew this. We, we go out as a team period. Mm. And, and of course, luckily about that time, uh, Carrie's uh, being carried by Bella up <laughs> and we we're able to kind of walk out. So it ended up being fine. And, and then as we got onto the floor, I looked over to Dominic Mociano. I said, we need to help Carrie up. 
going to the, she's got a cast and we need to help her on. So there's always little things that are going on in the back of your mind when, um, you know, it, it is this special moment and, and you want to soak it all in and you just want to keep, but then there's also the, the reality of how do we get carry on to the podium? <laughs> um, so it's just, you know, some of our memories I think are just a little bit different than, than what you see on television, but they're all special and the coverage was amazing and being able to stand up there with the team, it's just you almost can't even put it into words how meaningful that is and having trained, um, you know, and, and really focused on that for, for over a decade at that point was just incredible. You're 19. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's like that needs to just kind of hover over the audience for a little bit longer. You're 19. I mean, you're a, a little, you're a girl, you're just a girl and you've already gone through a couple of Olympics you're basically retiring out of the sport, not immediately, but it's, it's, it's over the horizon. What do you think is going to happen next in your life? Uh, looking forward, what's the dream at that point when you've already accomplished so much? Well, for me, um, you know, my parents had always instilled in the three of us as kids, um, this understanding that education is, is really the foundation for your future. And yes, um, you want to do this gymnastics thing. You want to train for the Olympics. Awesome. We'll support you in every way we can. But did you do your schoolwork? <laughs> I mean, that was, that was really the, the basis. And um, I think that that really came into play and really helped ground me after the Olympics when you don't – who knows how to retire at 19 years old? Right. This is something that I've done for the last 14 years of my life. It's something I focused on. Now I have 40-plus extra hours every week. What do I do with that? What do, what do people do with all of that time? And, again, I was, I was very shy growing up, so I wasn't going out and doing a lot of social activities. And, and so for me, being able to continue on with my education was um, very important. It's kind of what, what kept me going. I had started college classes part-time prior to the 1996 games and, and then continued on with that um, afterwards. Uh, of course, I think uh, touring also helped. Uh, touring around the country, mm -hmm. we get to go do gymnastics as part of these shows and no judges, just <laughs> lights and music and costumes and, and just the, the routines that we want to do. And that was, I think for me, something that helped soften the landing a little bit because you do kind of go from um, this family that you've had you know, for over a decade to kind of nothing overnight. Um, I moved away from home in order to uh, be on campus at school. So I also lost kind of my immediate family and, and that support system to some extent. So um, it, it is a lot for, for athletes, especially at a young age, um, whether it's from a college sport, a professional sport, an Olympic sport, to suddenly retire. It's, it's a difficult path, and um, it's something that you always have to work through. I'm going to give you, Shannon, four dates. And uh, after, you, after I give you the date, you tell me how this date changed your life. Okay. Uh-oh. Hopefully you know them. If not, uh, you're in good trouble, <laughs> especially with the first one. August 25th, 2008. August 25th, 2008. I believe you were married to John Falconetti. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we, we 
have a running joke that neither of us can ever remember, so we just kind of celebrate throughout the year. Um, <laughs> why, why celebrate when, an anniversary when you can celebrate every day? I think that's a great way to go through life. But on that date, how, how did that date change the trajectory of your life? Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, I think being married to John has just been um, – it's been incredible. And I know everyone says that when they get married, um, but it really has been just this wonderful journey. And I feel like he um, helps me to be a better me in a lot of ways. Um, and, and I think we learn from each other. I think we're a good team, which is um, so important. And I think, you know, you learn a lot about a person and I'm, I'm sure we'll get to this in a minute, but you learn a lot about a person when, you know, early in a marriage you're diagnosed with cancer. Um, you learn a lot about a person and how they react to things and, um, and having children. I and mean, we have two wonderful children and, and that's kind of our, our greatest joy. It's probably why we don't remember dates as much because I, if you give us <laughs> their birthdays, we'll definitely remember that. Well, those are, those and, are coming next. So October 28th <laughs> and June 25th, you are able to raise and love now John and Sterling. How did delivering and now getting, uh, having the honor of raising and loving those kids change you? Um, I weep at every child commercial out there, every diaper commercial. I break down in tears. <laughs> so, um, I, it, it does, it changes your world. And you hear people say it before you have children. And and they say, you know, you, you just don't even understand the depth of love and that you have for your children. And, and I know that now to be true. It, I mean, I would do anything for them. And um, it, it really is just... It is incredible, and we just feel so fortunate. We have um, these sweet, kind, loving children, and, um, you know, not that they don't have their moments like every other child out there, but we just, we're so fortunate. Um, I feel like they're both such miracles. Um, Mm. Rocco, um, his first name is John, but we call him Rocco after his great-grandfather. He uh, he was um, young when, when... I got ill and, um, we were able to have our baby girl after cancer. So they're both just true miracles. The first one, of course, is a miracle. The fact that you had ovarian cancer and then you had another baby is just awesome. So let's talk about February of 2011. Uh, you get diagnosed with ovarian cancer. How, How did that diagnosis change your life? Oh, um, in so many ways, um, there, there are other, there are ways that didn't change it, and there are ways that it has just been changed significantly. I think a cancer diagnosis is always a shock. I mean, it doesn't, it just doesn't matter who you are and where you are in your life. It's always a shock. And for me, I had not recognized that I was having any kind of symptoms. And ovarian cancer was just not one of the cancers I, I really had on my radar, and it doesn't run in my family. And at the time, I, I thought of it as you know, something you think about when when you get older. Mm and not in your early 30s. And so for me to then be diagnosed, it was just kind of that that sudden shaking of, hey, you, you need to take control of your health. You need to focus on it in a way that you never have before. And, and I had already um, become passionate about women's health in a variety of ways, you know, whether it was fitness and nutrition and getting enough rest and recuperation and stress management and all of those good things. But this really took it to another level because I realized that even I wasn't taking care of myself in the way that I should. 
um, as an athlete, everyone else kind of <laughs> took care of it for me. Uh, my parents uh, were, you know, I just ate whatever they served. And, um, you know, as far as fitness, I was getting plenty of physical activity at the gym, so I didn't have to worry about that. Um, I was burning tons of calories, so it really didn't matter that much what I ate at the time. And I just think I took that for granted in a lot of ways. And so I think for me it was recognizing that the health is, your health is so important because it is what allows you to do and be everything else in life that you want to be. And I wanted to be there for my son. I wanted to be a mother. When that's suddenly in jeopardy, when you suddenly think that can be taken away, um, it changes you. We, we posted yesterday that uh, we had the great honor of interviewing you today on the podcast. Got a lot of feedback on that. A lot of people just saying, gosh, tell her hello, tell her thank you. We also received a bunch of questions. One came from Jody Friedis. She wants to know, Shannon, when was your darkest time? And you may have just mentioned it. When was your darkest time? And then she asked as well, what would you tell someone listening right now who is seeking a way to return to the light? So when was your darkest time, Shannon Miller? And what would you say to someone right now who's there and trying to come back into the light? I think I would point to two pretty troublesome times for me um, along that journey. I think the first was really before surgery in, in what we call that wait and observe period. And if you've ever gone through a diagnosis or know someone that has, you know this period. And it is horrible. It's just horrible because you have so many questions and there are so few answers and there's this loss of control. And here I had been this athlete. I mean, I, I knew what was going on in my body. I had to, that was, that was my job. Mm -hmm. Know everything. Your body is a tool that you use to, in my case, quite literally become the best in the world at something. And, and now I had no control. So that to me, um, was extremely difficult going into surgery, wondering, the biggest question of all, will, will my son have a mother? And I just, to this day, I have a hard time even saying those words without completely breaking down. Yeah. The other time was after I started chemotherapy the first week. And I thought, I thought I was all geared up. You know, I, I had been this athlete. I reached back to this um, lessons learned through sport. I'm going to set goals. I'm going to get through this. Hey, I was an Olympic medalist. I can do this. Right. And then the first week happened, and by the end of the first week, I couldn't keep down food. I couldn't keep down water. I was put back in the hospital, hooked up to IVs, went through, I don't know, 10, 12 different nausea medications. Not one of them even phased me. And I remember that night, just lying there in that hospital room alone. My husband had taken our, I guess, 15-month-old son home to put him to bed. And, and there I am, dark room, quiet, just the self-beeping in the machines in the background. And I just remember thinking, I can't do this. I, I, I don't know how to do this. And it was at that point a nurse walked in. And I don't know what she did or said. I just remember that moment because it was as if that, you know, kind of cartoon light bulb came on and, and, and there was the word team. And I had to kind of remind myself that I, I was not in this alone. You know, I had my faith as first and foremost, and I had this incredible medical team, a lot more medical staff on this team, but also friends and family and neighbors and people willing to pitch in and help out. But it also came back to not just realizing I had all the support around me, but that I, as part of a team, 
needed to contribute to that success. So I needed to take the next step. I needed to get back up. And that kind of helped reinvigorate me to um, not make it easy. It's never easy. But I think it maybe made it a little bit easier, just realizing that I was part of a team and we were going to do this together. So Meredith and Barbara are also tripping in with questions and they also want the follow-up is what, what would you suggest to someone who is in that dark space themselves right now? It's always difficult to give advice without knowing someone's very specific circumstances because we're all in a different place. We're all dealing with um, a different set of things. And, and really what worked for me when I was 20 doesn't always work when you're 40 mm-hmm. um, in, in the different circumstances in life. But I guess what I would say to anyone that's in that dark place is keep going. <laughs> Get up in, in whatever way that that is for you and take that next forward step, find that next goal and then get up today and do something no matter how small to just chip away at, uh, at getting to that goal. And the other portion of that is attitude. And I am a strong believer in, in positive attitude, not, not being cheery, not pasting a smile on and, um, and, and pushing away <laughs> the, the darkness. That, that's not what I mean. But a positive attitude, I think, is being able to cut through all the negative and say, you know what, <laughs> maybe all this negative is out there, but, but here's one thing that's a positive. Right. You know, I, I got up today and I got dressed. And I'll tell you, there was many days during my journey where that was the goal, get up, get dressed. And that, that was a good day. <laughs> and, and so I guess for me, it's, you know, we, we have very few things in life that we have complete control over, but our attitude is one. We get to own that. And even when it's very, very difficult, and there's some days positive attitude's just not going to be there. I mean, I get that. But on most days, we have the opportunity to wake up and see something good around us. So Shannon, we have had the honor of interviewing and having on our show a couple hundred guests and all of them are tethered through seven questions. We call them the live inspired seven. It's how we wrap up and really kick off every show. So I'm going to guide you through these seven questions. The very first is this, uh, in addition to, it's not about perfect competing for my country and fighting for my life by Shannon Miller. What is the best book you have ever read? I'm an avid reader, so I need a lot more time for this question. I'm not going to commit to one book. Well, 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 commit to yours then. It's not about perfect, which, by the way, is a strong <laughs> book. So l- let me give you a different style question. What is one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a child in Oklahoma that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? I'm going to say this, then I'll probably have to explain it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you probably focus. And, and I say that. Um, I'm a very determined, very focused individual. It's just who I am. It's um, sometimes to my detriment, but but that's who I am. I think as a child, it was it came easier because I had the opportunity to focus on really two things: school, gymnastics. And as an adult, you realize that you're being pulled in a million different directions every single minute of every single day, and so it's easy to lose that focus. And so I have to work much harder these days to be able to maintain that focus, um, on something, um, more than I, more than I had to as, uh, as, as a child. Mm, awesome. 
if your home caught fire and your husband and your children and your animals and you, you're all out safe and you had an opportunity to run in and grab one item, one medal, one thing, one picture, one whatever, what's the one thing you would grab? My computer. <laughs> Because it's got all that stuff on. It's got all my my pictures, and I know there's the cloud and all that good stuff, but I don't trust the cloud. (laughs) (laughs) I I should say I don't trust my technological ability to send things to a cloud. Um, So, yeah, I I would say that just because it has, you know, so much on it. But um, but even that, I mean, that that truly is backed up. There's there's just nothing. just, Just nothing that's worth going back into a burning house to get. Um, that's beautiful. If you're, if you had an opportunity, Shannon, to sit outside on a bench on a gorgeous day, overlooking a beach and have a really long, awesome conversation with anybody living or dead, who would you want to be seated right next to? <laughs> um, okay. This isn't going to be exciting or interesting, but Probably my husband. <laughs> I think you that's know, just to make up for the anniversary things. miss a moment ago. Yeah. You're just making. You're just, with, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think you have four kids, so you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we only have two. I don't know how you do it, but you know, you're always the conversations are almost always revolve around the kids or work. So to have you know a full day sitting on a beach to just talk, um, and, and you know, we're pretty good about making sure we, right. you know, have date night and connect and whatnot. But, but yeah, full day to just talk. Um, I think now more than ever, family is just so um, right. important and soaking up every moment that you can with your family is so important. What's the best advice you've ever received? I'll say as a, as a business person, because I've kind of gone through some of the lessons learned through, through sport, you know, the goal setting and, um, and leadership and mentality and teamwork, all of, all of those great lessons. But um, something that I had trouble with in the beginning when I started my company, um, you know, we're focused on women's health and mm-hmm. that is an incredibly broad category. So you feel like every day, and I feel like every day I'm doing something different. You know, people ask for your elevator speech and, you know, mine, I'm going to need a, you know, 80 floor building just to, just to give you it because I'm doing something different every single day. And, and I sat down with this business leader who I'd met, um, <laughs> through, through a car race of all things. Um, and I sat in his office and I said, how do you do it? You're, you're trying to, you know, run this conglomerate. You're, you're doing all of these different things, but how do you focus? How do you get stuff done? And he said, you just need to think about what you need to do today. What is your ultimate goal? Mm-hmm. Was, there's different avenues to get to that goal and different things you can do, activities you can do to get to that goal. But what, what helps you get to that goal and what is it? And so I put in my office, today, my goal is to help one woman focus on her health. And, and then I realized that's all I need to do each day. You know, at least one woman, but at least one woman. Right. Focus on our health. And that could be fitness. It could be nutrition. It could be cancer awareness or diabetes or heart disease. But at the end of the day, that's my goal. That's what I want to do. And I, that really helped um, narrow things for me. It helped me say no, which is kind of another important lesson. And I'll be quick in saying this, but I think learning to say no 
was one of the most difficult lessons that I've ever learned mm. in business and life because I'm a yes person. I just want to please everybody. I want to do everything I can for everyone. And you can't do that. You have to focus your energies. That's awesome. What, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? So you just finished the, uh, the 96 Olympics. It's 1997. What, what advice would you give yourself back in 1997? <laughs> just ride the wave. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's life's going to give you ups and downs. Just hold on tight and keep going. Shannon Miller, question number seven for you is, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? You know, I, I would probably be elegant or eloquent, and I'm saying it now. I would, I would need much more time for that. <laughs> but I would hope it would say something about someone who focused on, on faith and family and really just going out and, and trying to do my very best each day. You've been living it. So uh, Shannon Miller, Olympian, survivor, failure, success, overcomer, mom, wife, hero. Uh, we want to thank you for showing us what overcoming looks like and what being a real champion looks like in action. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. My friends, that is Shannon Miller. I am John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired. Well, my friends, I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Before I leave you today, I want to invite you to return to the joy of navigating life as a child, packed with wonder, packed with inspiration, packed with meaning, packed with joy. Many of you are still asking, but John O'Leary, have you read the headlines? Do you know my life? Are you looking at what is coming our way? Are you looking at how cloudy the skies and how much anxiety we have about what tomorrow might have in store? Well, I am. But my latest book, In Awe, is packed with fresh insights and action stories to reignite that inspiration, that meaning, and that joy for you and your journey forward. It may not make the difficulty of today completely disappear, but it will remind you for a fact that the best of your day remains in front of you. So let's go ahead and check out that book right now. Grab your copy of In Awe at the website readinawe.com or wherever books are sold. My friends, for this time and until next time, this is John O'Leary. This is your day. Live in awe and live inspired.